So please turn on your Bibles to the book of Acts. I'm just going to jump right in for the sake of time. And uh, we started last week just looking at the book of Acts. And again, I had no idea that the Women's Bible Study is doing that and that other people have already been doing that. Um, I may need my glasses, babe. Sorry. So my glasses next to you, I may need those. I've had to start wearing reading glasses. Isn't that fun? So it's not, for those of you who don't have to do it. It gets better. Or do they get bigger? I couldn't quite hear what you said there. So, um, the necessity of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to just jump in. I'm going to recap a little bit from last week. I'm going to go over some of the stuff again because it needs to be really firm in us. But looking at the book of Acts is, is something that is very important and precious to me, partly because it's where we see, I believe, we see God's original intention for His church. We see glimpses of it. What was God's original intention? So, last week I read out two lists. Um, and we'll do some more this week, but I read our two lists on purpose, maybe to offend a little, but also to, to wake us up to the way they would have seen it. Now, the two lists I read were, uh, what would surprise the early church people or leaders if they came back today and saw the modern church? What would be the first things that would strike them as, why do we do that, or oh, that is so different? And I read out that list, and, uh, and what were some of the pervasive heart positions or attitudes that believers in the first century, in the first church had? What were some of the ways they understood or looked at things like politics or at things like the world or like each other or different cultures? How did they look at it? It's so different than we do today. And so I don't want to read those again. I've had a few people request those, so I will give those lists to uh, the staff and you can email the office. And I'm going to be in trouble for saying that, but I think it'll be okay. So go to Luke 24 if you can. This is Acts, as you know, is written by Luke. And I want to start by saying this. As soon as I start looking at Acts, people start getting boxy, the camps develop, and, and the Lord is not like that at all. Uh, he really is not like that at all. There's no box you can put God in. Uh, a number of years ago, this is just something the Lord put on my heart to share in worship. Uh, the truth is, I don't remember if it was a dream or a vision. Uh, I, I, get, I, get, I have a few, so I just I forget sometimes. But I remember, I think it was a dream, uh, the Lord came to me in a dream, and the, the, in the dream, God was moving quite powerfully in a sense. People were, were being touched by the Holy Spirit and by the Lord, something that I'm familiar with or grew up around, so it wasn't unusual. But there was a group of people there who didn't understand anything of what was going on, Christians, but just had no understanding, and some were not Christians. And so there was some people there, some leaders, and some of them, are, would, would, they're very well known in those spheres. And they were explaining to the people, that's God doing this, and that's God doing this, and that over there is God doing this, and even some of the explanations that I had heard growing up. But to my surprise, when I turned and looked at the Lord, He was standing with His arms folded, really not happy. And, and I didn't understand that, and I said to Him, what's wrong? And He, he was not emotional like, you know, it's hard to explain, but He said, I'm so tired of the God experts. And that really impacted me. And he says, they think they know, but they don't. And at these people just explaining, as if like, well, of course, this is God. And that was a largely similar thing was happening in Ezekiel's day, before the Holy Spirit actually left. Not with bad hearts, they just assume things. And so what happens is whenever you talk about the things of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or being Spirit-filled or anything to do with the Holy Spirit, people have these camps in their mind. I'm asking you, put that aside. 
It's just put it aside. It's not like that in the kingdom. It's not like that in the kingdom. And then I saw this one very well-known, famous lady uh, kind of standing like this, and, and I said, what is she doing? And he said, she's waiting for like a baton, like she's sensed that there's going to be a move of God, and she's waiting. And, but I said, okay, it was kind of weird. And he said, she will wait for the rest of her life because I'm not going to come like that again. And she's stuck in that. That's how God does things. She will wait for the rest of her life. And that really hit me, and God started to unglue me and undo me and show me himself apart from all the boxes and all the stuff. And one of the first things that I saw is that people, when you look at spirit-filled, people think spirit-filled is a type of believer. It's not. It's a state. Every single time, not maybe, every time, go look at it. Test me on it. That's the secret way to get you to read the Bible. In the book of Acts, every single time the word filled is used, the Spirit, they were filled by the Spirit, or the Spirit filled, every single time that phrase is used, the very next thing it says is, and they spoke, or they preached, or they testified. In the book of Acts, to be Spirit filled, the next thing that happened is something came out of their mouth in public. And sometimes what came out of their mouth is what cost them. It's not a type of believer. I'm a spiritual believer. I'm not. It's not that in the Bible. It's a state of believer to be filled with God. That's why they had many fillings. So then people get all, they're like, well, they had two and they had four and, and then we have camps. It's like the denominational spirit. Not that I'm against denominations. I'm not. But so many times throughout church history, God will start a move and then it becomes a camp. We have to, there's some proclivity in man to try and formulize everything. And God is not like that. He don't like that. So, huh. let's go to Luke 24. It says here, verse 44, we read this last week. Then he said to them, Jesus said, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law, and the, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened the understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And I said last week, imagine being there, they were the first that really got to see Scripture from heaven's perspective. And it doesn't mean they had perfect understanding of all of the Scriptures, because we see in Acts chapter 6, they were still, they couldn't get involved in the, in the administration of finances, because it says they had to give themselves to prayer in the Word, because they're coming out from the law into a whole different way of living. I don't know if we can understand or appreciate the massive impact what happened at Pentecost had on the people of that day. What they ate changed, what they wore changed, what they did every day from morning to, to sunrise, to sunrise to sunset Everything changed. Everything. Even the role of men and women in the house. And people don't like it when I say that, but it's true. Jesus treated women better than any man before. And there were a whole bunch of women on the day of Pentecost who were doing exactly the same thing as the men. And that was not normal in their custom. It actually like wasn't okay. And imagine going there, seeing being one of these 3,000 or the thousands of the multitudes that saw them speaking in other tongues by the Spirit gives utterance, and you're standing there, and you see women doing what the men are doing, 
Not happened before. And you go home and you look at your son and you say, son, you know, uh, I have to tell you something. Uh, You know that guy that we crucified? Yeah, I was wrong about that. Try imagine it. But daddy, you said he was a fraud. Daddy, you said I was wrong. We killed the Messiah. But it was part of God's plan. And then he looks at his daughter and says, and daughter, things will change for you too, my dear. What do you mean, dad? I don't know. I just, there were women there doing exactly what the men were doing, and that's not part of our history. Think about it. Everything changed, like, like that. Now they're adapting. And God will do that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't mind doing something that is beyond us that we don't understand, and we take a while to adapt. It's not like, well, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't think God's ever said that. Pastors say that. God doesn't. So, that's Luke 24. He opens their mind. He, they understand the Scriptures. And then, even though that's never happened, and now it's happened, and then in, the, in John 20, this is when God breathes on, Jesus breathes on them, just like God breathed into Adam. They get saved. That's being born again. They have a new spirit. They're renewed. They're a new creation. And yet, he says, wait. Listen in verse 46. Then he said to them, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And they were still surprised at the Gentiles. Shows you how when a person has a boxed mindset, they can't hear even when someone is speaking to them. He says, this will be, it'll start at Jerusalem, it'll go to all the nations. Not so many years later, Cornelius and Peter says, nah, I think the Lord's confused. Because it's like, but they're not Jews, Lord. He said it to them. And they have the same issue in the church today. But he says, preach to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So let's go to Acts 1.8. Read the same thing. It says here, the former account. I need these. There we go. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them. That's actually in Luke 24 when he ate fish. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when John baptized with water, he didn't take water, this is not your libre, you know, baptized. He didn't take water and throw it on them, say, I baptize you. He said, but he used water as an instrument. But actually, they were pressed into the water. It's obvious, yeah? It's not complicated. It's the same way in the Holy Spirit. What happened in the natural happens in the spirit. 
I will baptize you. John baptized with water. But he didn't pick up the water. He just pushed you into it. I will press you into the Spirit until you are immersed. It's the same way. And he says here, my goodness, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Therefore, it's really, I'm getting used to it, okay? And I look up and it's just blurry. I just, give, just give me a moment here. Jesus, help me. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I said this last week. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons. He didn't say no. He just said not yet. So that will happen. But he said, not now. All right? And then he said, is it, not for you, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So, he says there, wait for the Spirit from which you have heard from me. So again, we're still kind of recapping. When did they hear from Jesus about the Holy Spirit? Anyone engaging with you today? I said it last week, so it's not super hard. In John 14, or 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, what theologians call the farewell discourse. There was all one evening, the Last Supper, and Jesus after supper had ended, and he's, actually he waits for Judas to leave, which is interesting. He waits for Judas to leave. As soon as Judas leaves, Jesus gives the greatest teaching on the Holy Spirit you can find. And I've written a little list. This is just, I've got about 40 different things that I see in the Scriptures that the Bible says the Holy Spirit will do this. But this is a quick little list that I'll read to you. This is just out of those few texts, out of John 14, 13 to 17. This is what Jesus said to them in summary about the Holy Spirit. He says, you've already heard me about the Holy Spirit. He said, remember that that I've told you? He's the one who's going to come. Well, what did he tell them? He told them that he is the helper. And I went over this last week, that he will be to you who I've been to you. That's what he's saying to the disciples. You know and can recognize him for he has been with you. You know that you can experience the things of the Spirit. It doesn't mean even that you are saved. I've seen the Spirit of God so come upon a place, but I've seen people in that place know what's happening, feel conviction, and literally had to almost crawl because they couldn't walk to get out of there because they wanted nothing to do with it. You think, how is that possible? Oh, it's possible. <laughs> so you can recognize Him. He can be with you, but it doesn't mean He's in you. And he is to dwell in us and be with us. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's saying the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, will teach you sonship. Then he says, he will teach you all things. These are actually not in order. He says, he will bring to your remembrance all things that the Lord has said and given to you. He says, this is just a quick summary, that he is the Spirit of truth and he proceeds from the Father. The, Father, the word Father means to come forth from. Jesus was the one, the first one ever, who said the devil is the father of lies. All lies come forth from the enemy, but all truth comes forth from the Father. And he said the Spirit, even, you know, when you hear the voice of the Lord, whether it's in a picture, in your heart, in your mind, a revelation from the Word, that it's actually the Holy Spirit. 
How do I know that? Well, in the Old Testament with Isaiah, it says, the Lord said to Isaiah, that exact verse quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews says, as the Holy Spirit said to Isaiah, the Holy Spirit is the voice of God. He speaks. And he says, he was the one. Actually, he will teach you. He testifies of Jesus. Number eight, he will teach you to bear witness to the truth. He will make it plain to you that I had to go so that I could send the Spirit into every individual who believes in me. I can't do that as I'm here now because Jesus was limited in the flesh in the incarnation before he was ascended. He was limited. He said, I can't, I'm, who I am to you, the Holy Spirit will be to you, but I can't be that to everyone in the world because I'm limited in time and space and I must go and receive a kingdom from my Father and then I can pour out the Spirit who can be in everyone. So he said, it's your, it's your advantage that I actually have to go. Otherwise, I can't be that right now. And you can go over the rest. Number 14, I'll just read these ones. It says, He, the Holy Spirit, will tell you of things to come. That's just not for the gift of prophecy. He will actually tell you of things to come. Do you believe that today? That the Holy Spirit can tell you what's coming. Oh, yeah. He knows. He's not surprised. He says he will glorify Jesus. That's what he says. He will glorify Jesus. How do I know that a move of God is by the Holy Spirit? Jesus gets glory, not man. Number one test. Now, some people may not like it, but the Lord doesn't really care about that. And he will take of what is Christ and declare it to us. So he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. I'll read this quick verse to summarize. Now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Imagine hearing that from the Lord. He's been with you three years, miracles that you cannot fathom. He said he's did more miracles than there are enough. But you cannot, there's not enough books to write down what Jesus did. That's what the Bible says. And he's been with you three years. It's the experience of having like the Father with you. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now he says to them, listen, I'm going to go. And they get sad. He says, why are you sad? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So to them, they were so excited to receive the Holy Spirit, partly because they missed Jesus. Do you ever think of that? Jesus dies, they all ran from him. Then he dies, comes again, he appears in the room, peace to you. They all freaked out. It's 40 days with them, now they're all like with Jesus again. Then he leaves. And I know in my heart what that's like. Who's ever had a season with the Lord that he's so present with you and then something changes, you don't know what it is, and you feel like you miss him? Times that by whatever. <laughs> and that's how they felt. And to them, they couldn't wait for the Holy Spirit. Because they miss Jesus. I just want to be with him. And he says, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Let me say this just to stir the pot. Just for fun. Some people will say there are absolutely two distinct experiences, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
and they will live and die on that. Other people say, well, if I have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit, I have them when I get saved, and they will live and die on that. I don't really care either way. All I know is that sometimes in the Bible, there were people who were saved who weren't filled with the Spirit, and then they got filled with the Spirit. And there are times in the Bible that everything happened at once. The reason it was so distinctly different in the beginning, why they got born again here and the Spirit came here, is because Jesus said, I cannot send him until I'm ascended. That's the only reason. So, breathe into them, salvation, I ascend, then I send him. So they're separate. But I've seen many believers that they wouldn't know the Holy Spirit if you're standing in front of them. And they need a little something. So sometimes they are different, but sometimes they're not. Just don't box it. Let God be God. So, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Then they choose another, they choose another a person to replace Judas. And that's interesting. You can go study it. Because it says they had to cast lots. They cast lots. They did something the Old Testament way to figure out what God was saying. Either, and I don't know, either it's because they were told to do nothing. He said, don't do anything till you receive the Holy Spirit. Wait. They didn't listen. They did something. They chose someone to replace Judas, and the Holy Spirit is not speaking. So they have to cast lots. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. But it is also the last time you see them do something in Old Testament way, because then the Holy Spirit comes. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost, hold on, oh, wait, I have a tear, thank goodness. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. So let's pause here. Can I give you guys a very quick summary of Pentecost? The word Pentecost means, who knows? 50, thank you. It means 50, that's all it means. It means 50. And Pentecost was one of the Jewish feasts, because we're trying to, we're not just trying to read and teach me about the Holy Spirit. In order, I find we have to understand it as they understood it. We have to feel like we were on the ground. What was happening in that day? And it brings revelation to our hearts. Pentecost is the best attended Jewish feast for travel reasons, but it was one of the three that you could travel to. And from Passover until that day was 50 days. So, they would have Passover, 50 days would go by, and there was Pentecost. And that feast was called the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost, because it took weeks, or the Feast of the Wheat Harvest, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So, on the day, on day 50, the first fruits of the wheat harvest on the day of Pentecost, they would bring sheaves of wheat, and they would wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. It was the first wheat that was there, and they would cut it all down as an act of faith, trusting the Lord that He would bring the rest of the wheat in the season. So on the day of Pentecost, you got Jews who were standing there with wheat and doing their thing, the first fruits of the harvest to come, and on that same day, the first fruits of the church is birthed, and the first people that get saved, trusting the Lord that the rest will come into the kingdom, the first fruits of the church. And that's actually what the Pentecost was pointing to. There is the first fruits coming, the first fruits. So that's actually both in the natural and the spiritual happening on the same day. Now listen to this. 
It's parallels from Pentecost between the Old and the New Testament. Both took place. The law was given, and this day of Pentecost and the law on Mount Sinai, both were 50 days after Passover. The law was given on the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament. Both were accompanied by heavenly, visible fire, darkness, and an earthquake. There was an earthquake that was at the outset of the covenant of the law. The mountain shook. There was an earthquake at the fulfillment of the law when Jesus died. There was another earthquake when Jesus rose, which was the outset of the new covenant. And I believe there will be another earthquake at the fulfillment. Earthquakes will mark both. Both included God giving a gift. One was the Torah, and one was the Holy Spirit. The word Torah means teaching. He gave them teaching, but in the New Covenant, He gives you the teacher. The Holy Spirit is called the teacher. How's this? On the first day of Passover, I think this will come up. On the first Passover in Exodus, the death of either the Lamb or the firstborn of Egypt... Israelites leave Egypt to be free from the bondage to a cruel slave master, Pharaoh. Forty days later, they arrive at Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain to see God. Ten days comes down with God's gift, which is the law. And on that day, it says about 3,000 people died. Because the law was a covenant of death. It says, literally it says it in Hebrew, about 3,000 people died. Jesus died on Passover as the Lamb of God, freeing us from the bondage to a cruel slave master, sin, and 40 days later goes up Mount Olivet, then he goes from there, and 10 days the Holy Spirit comes down and about 3,000 people get saved. That's what it says, and about 3,000 were saved. It's the exact fulfillment, that's death, that's life. People were kept away from the fire at Sinai, but the fire of Pentecost comes to you. Big difference. So, it says, Suddenly there came, from the, uh, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And let me pause there. <laughs> we're going to get through this one day. Where they were sitting... Why is that important? You know, the Bible doesn't waste words. If you were sitting as a Jewish man, you were not worshiping, you were not reading Scripture, you were not praying. Those weren't done sitting down. They were sitting means they were resting, or they were having a meal, or they were just being with one another. And it says the Holy Spirit came down and sat upon each one of them. It's actually really a big deal. Why? Because in the Old Testament, God said, you will not make my altar with cut stones. Meaning, I want, he says, I want no, none of man's tools on the stones. You will make my altar with uncut stones. Why? I don't want man's sweat on it. If you think you can earn it for a second... So they had to build the altar, and the sacrifice went up, and the fire came down. 
Here, God is building a forever altar. And He waits for them to be doing nothing. Because effort is the opposite of grace. God said, I will not have man's effort taint my gift. I will not have it taint my gift. Your effort cannot earn this. The sacrifice that went up is Jesus Christ. And if you think your effort, sir, ma'am, please hear me, can earn the things of the Spirit, stop. You can't. The sacrifice went up. Jesus, He doesn't want your sweat and your effort to receive the Holy Spirit. And so it says He comes and sat on them where they were sitting. He rests on those who are at rest that Jesus' sacrifice, the once for all, is enough. It's enough. You can't add to it. (sighs) That's okay. Then they appeared to them Divided tongues as of fire, I said last week, as of wind, as of fire. There was no wind, there was no fire. There was a supernatural look like fire, and there was a sound. And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can we, can we kill another golden calf? Just real quick. People say, you're not filled with the Spirit unless you speak in tongues. Not true. I don't know where they get that, but when people say that, they're talking about a prayer language, right? Who's ever heard that? They're talking about a person's prayer language. Well, that's not what was happening here. These people were speaking other languages of the earth supernaturally, and the Bible very clearly points out it wasn't the Holy Spirit speaking, it was them. As the Spirit gave them utterance, they were speaking. They weren't just... uh, And like, I had no control. No, they were speaking languages because they became a temple. And so they were speaking other languages that they had supernaturally, and then people say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you're not filled with the Spirit. Then I've met one person in my whole life that is filled with the Spirit because I've only seen it happen one time in the meeting when a woman ran down from the back and started speaking in tongues, and it was another person's tribal language that was there, and they got saved. So, it's not boxed. I'm not angry at you. I just, I hate religiosity, whatever. It's the Lord. It's a relationship. He longs to be with you. He really does. He paid for everything so that He can give you a gift. Verse 5, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because every person, everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. 
We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Isn't it wonderful that there were Arabs there? Think about that. One of the languages spoken on the day of Pentecost was Arabic. Oh, the Lord will restore that one day. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could these things mean? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. They were right in the prophetic sense. But they were full of new wine. So there were actually two crowds there. And I know this is a little tedious, but I'm trying to put us there on the day. We have enough time. We have a whole year. We'll get into all the stuff that maybe some of you want to. But we have to see it for what it is, friends. There were two crowds there. There were men of Judea and those from outside. There were the locals and there were those who had traveled there for the feast. And the men who were locals didn't understand those languages. So they said, they mocked them, saying, well, they're drunk. So Peter's sermon, which we'll get to in a little bit, Peter's sermon, he stands up and he says, men of Judea, listen to me. Peter's sermon, he's addressing the crowd that was mocking. The other part of the crowd were those who were amazed and perplexed, since they were confused, but they were amazed and they marveled. Why? Because they understood what they were speaking and they knew that God was doing something that was beyond them that they didn't understand. So Peter doesn't need to speak to them. Whenever the supernatural happens, I've seen this and I don't know how many times I've seen this beyond I can count. My dad will tell you it's true, my, both my parents. Whenever the supernatural moves, you will have varied responses. Some will mock. Some will be confused. Some will be amazed. And some will marvel. That's okay. It's in the book. Happened here. I prayed for a lady once, and this is true. Jen was there with me. As I prayed for her, she, she went down. I was, my eyes were closed, which, anyway, that's, I shouldn't have had them closed, but they were. You have to learn to pray with the eyes open. So, and she hit the deck. And she kind of like, it was weird, I'm being honest. She like kind of bounced and almost like stood back up again. And she said, you're a something like a servant or something of the Most High God. And she ran out of the building. It was like in the middle of nowhere in some like bush church, like in a little chapel, dirt roads, like in the middle of nowhere. She ran out of the building, started pitch black night, started running down the street, in the, in, down a sand road. It was obviously a demonic issue. But it was the power of God hit her. She ran out of there. And her husband says to me, what must I do? I said, probably go after her. <laughs> I don't know what to say. He goes after her. This is a number of years ago. I was here in Loudoun County. Grabs her, carries her back. We pray for her. She gets set free. She gets saved, healed, delivered, all the rest. But what was the reaction? Some people would be like, well, you can't react like that to God. Well, there'll be all sorts of reactions to the supernatural. Don't worry about that. But don't hype. Don't put on. 
Don't let your style offend. Let the Holy Spirit do it. He knows what he's doing. And there was 120 believers. There was a sound. And it says, because of the sound, they all gathered. Oh, boy. I think we'll leave it there. Some of you are going, um, very few. Others are going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Friends, please hear me. We d- I was actually going to speak to you today about Peter's sermon, but we didn't get there. Peter stands up and preaches a sermon that on some level isn't amazing at an oratory level. He's not a Paul. It's not some, Jesus never preached a sermon where 3,000 people responded. But Peter, a fisherman, untrained in rabbi school, he stands up and he speaks a sermon and kind of pulls a few scriptures together. Remember, he had just had his mind opened by the Lord to understand the Psalms and Proverbs and how the fulfillment, how Jesus showed them all these Psalms and Proverbs were, I was fulfilling each one of them. Peter stands up and gives two Psalms saying, this fulfillment was actually talking about the Lord. He's just learned the lesson. How many of you know you read the Bible in the morning, you go through the day, or you read it that week, or you heard a sermon, you go through the day, and it's like, that's exactly, and it's like, you feel like you learned it for that moment. Well, that happened in the first sermon in the early church. Peter's just learned it from the Lord, and the Lord's like, and here's an opportunity. He's like, and he looks great. He's like, let me quote you. Let me just quote Psalms to you. I'm not even a rabbi. I'm just going to quote it. You just learn it. The things of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, We're going to get into some of that. But friends, the more important, there's one word. Jesus says to the disciples in John 14 in the the farewell discourse, He teaches them all about the Holy Spirit. But He also says to them, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot yet bear them. And there's been a cry in my heart that I said, Lord, I don't want to get to heaven one day. And you say, son, I had so much to show you, but you couldn't bear it. But then I also realized that there's one word that Jesus never uses in that entire teaching on the Holy Spirit, power. He doesn't bring it up one time. Then he rises from the dead, and just before he ascends, he says to them, listen, I'm about to send upon you the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be all that to you that I am to you, but he's going to do all these things. We've spoken about it. But let me tell you something else. When He comes, and when He rests upon you, you will receive power. They had not heard that until that moment. And I'm telling you that that has not changed. The Holy Spirit is the person of power, but He is also the person of character. He will want to do a work in you, but He will work through you while He's working that stuff out. You can't earn it. Friends, please hear me. Your effort will not earn you the Holy Spirit. Stop it. 
That is a Western thought. And I see it so much in ministry. I battle it myself. Like, you know, Lord, I'll, give, I'll sacrifice anything. Like, I'll just I'll be holding the flag. And by the grace of God, Greg and Michelle came into my life, and he told me, Clayton, you will bring no glory to God to burn out for him. None. And I had to let go of that and let the grace of the Holy Spirit come into my life. And I'm encouraging you, let it come into yours. You can't earn it. It's a gift. You can position yourself for it. You know, there's a big difference. I have to end. There's a big difference between the power of God and the presence of God. The presence of the Lord, we experienced a little bit today in worship, the presence of the Lord is actually in you at 100% all the time. But when you read the Word, when you worship, when you pray, when you get around other people that are believers and you do these things, it's like the presence of the Lord manifests and you become aware of His presence. And it's in His presence that people are changed. Only in His presence when we're aware of it. Even though He's in you at 100% all the time. But you can become aware of the presence of God and it makes you go still. You know those moments where you don't want to move, you don't want to breathe? Because you're like, just the presence of the Lord. It makes you weep. It makes you forgive. It makes you soft. The power of God Oh, it doesn't do that. But the presence of God is in you all the time. The power of God will come upon you. It will come upon you, and that will rattle your bones. I've had it a few times where the power of God so comes upon you to minister, you don't know if you can take it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's like, wow! And you just know, wow, that's very different. That's very different. And the power of God comes upon you for service, not for you. And it's amazing the stuff that God does. But then you go home and it lifts. But the presence of God is here all the time, all the time. And both of them are the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Both. Both. So we're going to get into that together. Next week, God willing, we'll be having fellowship and fun at the Fall Festival. Please understand, that's just as spiritual as everything I just said. It's just as important. But if not... We'll be here. We'll carry on in Acts. We'll look at Peter's sermon, God willing. Can we stand? If you can just sense the, the brooding of the Holy Spirit, who knows what I'm talking about. It's just like the presence of the Lord. Chris, can you put your hand up? So can you come pray to close, please? I encourage you, go read the book of Acts. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want to see what I've seen before. I don't want to see what I've been taught. Let me read this as if it's f fresh. And just begin to read. 
When the Lord jumps into your heart, you don't even know sometimes why. Just stop, pray, and read it again. You'll be amazed. Pray for us, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Father. Um, I still sense it. If fear and anxiety, if you're dealing with that, just put your hand up. Holy smokes. Um, if you see somebody, please come around them. Just put your hands on them, please. Yeah, the people with the hands up. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Lord, I just release your goodness. I release your goodness in your Father's heart. The shalom of heaven that would come upon us, Father, I break the fear and anxiety in the name of Jesus. I say it must go. I declare death to every root, every plan, every device of the enemy that would bring fear and anxiety into our lives, Lord. Holy Spirit, do that now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, even more, Lord. More. Lord, I come against nightmares, and I break those off in the name of Jesus. I come against the night terrors, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Now, Lord, bless us and seal us as we go. I declare the, and plead the blood of Jesus over us that you protect us, put a joy in our hearts, keep us, Father. Lift our eyes to you, Lord. We bless you and we thank you for this body, for this house, for those who are in leadership that work so hard for us, Lord God. We bless them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.